and welcome to Barry Dunn's podcast, Healthcare Technology Insights. My name is Danny Burgess, and I'm a manager here with Barry Dunn. Healthcare Technology Insights is here to inform, instruct, and energize healthcare leaders. Our podcast includes healthcare professionals from all over the nation and brings key topics for discussion that have a real impact on healthcare industry. And speaking of national healthcare leaders, our very special guest today is Ralph Johnson, the Vice President of Informatics for the LeapFrog Group. Ralph's career prior to joining the LeapFrog Group was as a hospital chief information officer for 35 years. As a hospital CIO, Ralph led many hospital and physician practice EMR implementations. He's also led major initiatives to improve patient safety and is recognized as a fellow of the Health Information Management System Society. Ralph has a BS in healthcare administration and a master's of science in leadership from Northeastern University. His career also includes past responsibilities for hospital quality programs, health information management, and risk management. Ralph, welcome to the program and thank you so much for joining. Well, thanks for having me, Danny, and it's good to see you again. You as well, sir. Now, let's go in the Wayback Machine here for a second, right? You've been in healthcare technology the majority of your career with provider organizations, and you and I met in the early 90s, I think, was our first meeting. Um, talk to us. Get back into that Wayback Machine and talk to us about the state of healthcare technology when you first started. You know, that's a, a polite way to point out that I'm getting old. <laughs> uh, when I first started uh, in hospitals, IT was used for finances. You know, we we were managing the revenue cycle with it, supply chain, human resources, and most of the work was actually done in batch processing. I mean, people now couldn't imagine what we were doing. We had green screens th throughout the hospital, mostly in those administrative areas, and uh, we had key punch data entry staff, and they were entering in charges and entering in payroll data and patient accounts information. And then four o'clock came around, second shift came into the computer room and they started processing all that data and spitting out all kinds of reports. Um, and then the night shift, the third shift operator would come in. He'd, he or she would stop at the switchboard, pick up the uh, census sheets from the switchboard and then they do the data entry of all the admissions, discharges, and transfers that happened that day to produce all these, the rest of the reports. They would run batches overnight, print probably, I, if I recall, it was like six to 10 cases of green bar fold paper, <laughs> and then courier it all over the hospital so that when people came in at seven o'clock the next morning, their reports were there for them to start working the next day including, you know, census sheets for dietary and um, multi-part paper. I mean, the, the, what we were facing back then was completely different world from what we have now. That is uh, a nostalgic look back to, to, to say the least, I guess. Um, I recall starting out early to whatever needed to be done needed to be done was the, was the modem operandi, right? We, we had to run a twisted pair cable all over the place just to make a connection work. You know, wireless was something in the, in the 
severely distant future from where we were at that starting point. And then you talk about things like punch cards and things like that, you know, the old the old toll booth and passing off of the punch card, right? So many people have never even heard of those things anymore. Really a remarkable uh, transition. And, and when we think about healthcare, well, technology first and foremost, but healthcare technology's adoption over the past 20 years, let's say, it's been a pretty remarkable increase and in steady improvement there. What transformations have you seen um, over your career? You know, there are a lot, a lot, you know, we could probably spend the next couple of hours talking about them, but, you know, I think there's three that come to mind. The The replacement of those green screens I talked about with, with PCs, that was a major transformational step. You know, we had, we had to make the big bet of, are we going to go with token ring or ethernet? <laughs> because ethernet at the time had that problem with uh, 254 devices. And then all of a sudden you'd have packet collision problems. That was before we had the smart switches we have now. Uh, now we see these PCs and laptops embedded in everything we do. You can't go through a hospital floor without seeing them mounted on the walls in every patient room. Now, how many of a nursing station, you know, there's at least two for every doctor working that floor. Um, yeah, the second one I can think of is the EMR. The EMR, of course, was was a real big change. It was such a big deal that in the late 80s, we actually had to apply for a certificate of need to with the state to get the funding to be allowed to spend the money to implement an EMR. We had implemented the, the second EMR in the entire state at that time. And, you know, it just opened up this whole new world of now we're, we've got this opportunity to improve patient care. The first big step, doctors weren't handwriting orders anymore. They were typing or selecting them in the computer, and the nurse could actually read them. <laughs> they didn't have to see if they could be deciphered. Um, I think the third one that really stands out for me of all the changes I've seen is voice recognition. And to watch that evolution of voice recognition over the last 20, 20 plus years, when it first started out and to see where it is now. We went from a world where physicians were calling a number on a telephone, dictating to a to an answering machine, and then transcriptionists were listening to that, typing it up, sending it to the provider to review, possibly make corrections and have it go back. And it could take days before you got an HMP or a, a maybe an op note back in the medical record chart. And now, the doctor's doing it themselves. They're dictating it practically real time, and it's appearing in the chart available for any other caregiver to see right away. And the quality of that voice recognition from 20 years ago to now and the accuracy of it is incredible. Yeah, that's those are those are fascinating infrastructure, EMR and really changing how we document and how we used to do it versus how we do it now. Pen and paper, electronic and typing, voice recognition. And I'm curious if you if you have a thought related to voice recognition and blending that with other technologies that are just evolving so incredibly quickly like artificial intelligence and that voice recognition, natural language processing coupled with artificial intelligence and the opportunities 
to give our you know medical staff the best opportunity to have the most pertinent information at the time that they're doing the work right with the patient right there to me is that panacea right oh my gosh we can put all of this together and and deliver the best care possible what do, what do you think there? It, it, it's all about data right and that voice recognition is just adding to that pool of data that's available i agree with you 100 percent Great. So what lessons have you learned from the transitions and uh, any significant takeaways from your perspective? Uh, and then we'll transition into what's happening with LeapFrog and patient safety, because I yeah. can't decouple uh, technology's role in patient safety. I, I um, Yeah, so this is more probably more around a leadership answer than it is around a technology answer. But uh, what I've learned through all these transitions is you can teach an old dog new tricks. <laughs> Um, and in fact, you need to be constantly learning and adapting, um, you know, too many times. And I know you've seen it yourself, Danny. People in this industry become um, loyal to it. The, the best way I can put it, loyal to a technology, whether we're talking about, you know, the, the person who believed you don't get fired for buying IBM, right? <laughs> Big blue. Right. Um, or you know, being loyal to a specific EMR vendor these days, I've seen that as a career killer for CIOs in particular. You know, you the stuff we just talked about, voice recognition, you know, to put it in your head the way Dragon worked 15 years ago and think that's the future and that it's just a pain in the neck or nuance. Uh, before that, well, I can't remember what their name was, but when they first started doing that voice recognition and adding merging it with uh, transcription to do smart transcription. The early adopters of that saw their transcription costs just go down because they were, instead of 200 lines an hour, they were processing 600 lines an hour because they were editing the transcription. And then that evolved into not needing transcriptionists anymore when you come to the, the day where, where we are now. So don't align yourself with a specific vendor, a specific technology and fall on your sword for it. That, that's what I've learned over all these years. I think that is a tremendous insight, Ralph, and, and thank you so much for sharing that. There are, there's so much wisdom in that statement alone to keep your eyes open, right? Technology is advancing at incredible pace and so opportunities are there and the way we've always done it is the way we're going to do it tomorrow not the case in particular with the adoption of healthcare technology so i love that insight i really appreciate you sharing so let's talk about leapfrog for a little bit um give our listeners some insight into leapfrog what is it what's the mission of the organization and what is your role there sure so did you know that death from a preventable medical error is the third leading cause of death in this country <laughs> Right. It's um, awful. More than, more than 200,000 lives are lost every year because of a preventable medical error. And that's not LeapFrog saying that. that. That's actually coming from hands-on studies by experts at John Hopkins. I mean, it, it started, LeapFrog started because of the uh, IHI report to Ares Human that came out over 20 years ago. Um, and as we've studied that issue, we've learned more and more about how much harm could be prevented. Um, back then, a group of large employers saw the impact of preventable medical errors and the cost it had not only on the insurance premiums they were paying, but to their employees. Uh, so LeapFrog is always shining a light on hospitals and 
now ambulatory surgery centers the last few years to urge them to follow safe practices and remove those errors from their everyday practice. Um, my role, I'm primarily responsible for the technology we use. Um, you know, when here at LeapFrog, I think uh, before I came here, technology was treated as a utility, like it is with so many small businesses, right? It's an outlet on the wall you plug your uh, device into, and the electricity is just there. Um, but what they learned uh, about three years ago was really the technology that they're using now is becoming very strategic to their mission. And so they created this role. I just happened to um, be at the right place at the right time to learn about it and uh, made a tremendous career change, which I've never looked back on. Um, you know, so what do I do now? I manage our presence in the cloud primarily. I manage our vendors, no different than when I was a CIO. Um, and I make sure that we're constantly looking forward to new ways to utilize technology to further uh, LeapFrog's mission. My first project here uh, that I was handed was to develop a comprehensive website uh, where consumers can go in and actually do side-by-side -side comparisons of hospitals and ASCs. You know, if you're an expecting mother, you can compare hospitals in your area to see where is the safest practice to, to deliver your baby. If um, you're going to have a knee replacement, you can do side-by-side -side hospitals, ASCs, up to, I think, three or four on a screen and look at all of the different safety factors, you know, and know where to go where you've got the least risk of coming out of there with an infection. Um, we also have a tool available to any employer, and these are all just out there available on our website. Um, we call it the lives and dollars loss calculator, where you can put in, you know, what your spend is on your medical premiums as an employer, um, and then put in the percentages of where your patients or your employees and their family members go to A hospitals, B hospitals, C, and find out what's the risk of how many people are going to die in a year and what's it costing you because more people are going to C hospitals than B or A, a rated hospitals. Wow. That, that's amazing. Some staggering numbers there. And I think I have gained a true appreciation for leapfrogs the groups as you know the reason for being here i mean those are those are staggering numbers and when you start talking about preventable right that's the golden opportunity is it not i mean the, there's a, a potential to focus on something we tend to succeed at things we focus on and it feels like leapfrog group is uh, allowing organizations and assisting organizations into making sure that patient safety is a focus moving forward that's tremendous now you mentioned abc um i'd love to hear a little bit about the grading system that leapfrog uses for healthcare providers yeah so we we collect a large amount of public data as well as, and I know you had to experience this in your past, uh, we also offer a voluntary survey that uh, hospitals can take and actually give us a lot of information about their practices on a number of different um, fronts. Uh, we use that data uh, and against uh, uh, 22 evidence-based measures, and we weight those measures based on input from our um, expert panels. Uh, physicians and scholars in the, around the country. And we take those weighted measures and then we come out with a grading system, A, B, C, D, or F, just like when we were in high school 
it probably is important to note, though, that we don't do those safety grades for uh, a small category of um, hospitals. We don't grade VA hospitals, uh, be partly because there's not enough public data available. Critical access hospitals, um, we feel like they should be on a separate scale, so we don't grade them. We also stay away from grading specialty and children's hospitals. Although all of those are able to take our hospital survey and still get, while they won't get a letter grade from us, they can still get their performance values from us. Well, that is tremendous. That is great. <clears throat> so of the hospitals that are in the, the grading system, what does it mean to them to receive an A, a B, or a C? And equally important, perhaps more important, what does it mean to the patient? Yeah. So obviously an A hospital is a big deal for the hospital. It means they've demonstrated excellence in safe patient care. And on the other end of the spectrum, a hospital receiving an F, which there are some every year, um, obviously has a lot of work to do and really should be embarrassed about that rating. Um, if you go to our hospital safety grade website, you can see the past performance as well. So you could judge whether a hospital is improving. So maybe they got a C back in 2019 and then a B by the fall. And then they've got maintained their B in 2020 in the spring. And then in the fall, they up to an A. You know, that's that's a hospital that's really trying to improve themselves. Um, you know, and so as you can discern from what I just said, we issue those safety grades twice a year. We do them in the spring and in the fall, usually with a pretty big press press release. And usually we'll... Uh, also communicate what our findings are from where we're seeing changes in, in the grades and in the data that we're seeing. And so what are you seeing for impacts uh, as you continue to make available this information? You're able to summarize it. You're able to, you know, everybody can relate to A, B, C, D, and F, right? We've all been there. So what kind of impact is happening as a result of this effort? You know, I would say until recently, we have seen a gradual improvement in patient safety year over year. What's that, that saying? A rising tide lifts all boats, right. you know, and when this is happening and, and these grades are being issued and everybody's being measured, um, we've seen hospitals across the board get better. And then we have something like what just happened this spring when you saw, or some people saw the uh, actual physician leaders at CMS publish a paper in JAMA that said that the pandemic brought us backwards, that hospitals loosened their patient safety requirements during the pandemic, and that we've, we've fallen backwards in progress in the last two years. Um, it, it really makes no sense to us why that happened. COVID has nothing to do with things like a hospital not counting the sponges at the end of a surgery and leaving one in a patient or a patient who falls from their bed. But Regardless, that that is what's happened recently. But overall, I would say, you know, the, the progress we've seen across the industry with our surveys gives us hope that what we're doing and continue to do will continue to make the health, the entire healthcare system safer. Oh, that's tremendous. And obviously working with uh, public sector components, you're into public policy now, right? I understand yes. your role entails some public policy work. Can you speak to how your past experience impacts those responsibilities and even what's what's going on in public policy today? Yeah, so that's that's um, 
a fun part of the job that just speaks to the, the leadership here at LeapFrog that they let me take this on. Um, you know, before I came to LeapFrog, I was very active in the New England Hymns chapter. I still am, actually, um, in the New England Hymns chapter around advocacy and uh, did a lot of work promoting the use of technology to improve patient safety. Uh, Leah, who's our CEO, she asked me to be the point person to organize our current public policy work. But more importantly, this is this opened the door for her to say, we need to start having more of an influence in technology in public safety. You know, I mean, we focus on things like hand hygiene, how many um, VBACs or vaginal births after a patient had a um, C-section. We, we focused on those kind of things. Now we have the opportunity to focus on things like patient identification to prevent the technology for patient identification to prevent uh, errors in the hospital, improving CPOE and clinical decision support. Um, you talked earlier about AI and machine learning. I mean, that's a real opportunity that we see going on. That's great. So for us to tackle that staggering number that you mentioned at the beginning of the program. Uh, this takes partnership, right? This, this is not one particular segment that can fix all of this overnight, right? So partnerships are forming healthcare providers, other sectors, leapfrog. Um, what are you seeing there? What, you know, what, what do you think we have for opportunities with, with some collaborative efforts here? Yeah, we, you know, I so saw you spoke about expert panels earlier. We, we recruit experts to advise us we the leapfrog is about 20 people we we aren't all experts on all of these things but we know how to coordinate those experts and and take in the information that they give us so we we do quite a bit of work around that for example Brigham and women's um probably the original leader in cpoe where some of the very first um, computerized physician order entry work was ever done um, they they are published routinely on work that they've done around that arena. Um, they partner with us for our CPOE tool, uh, and we utilize their um, intellectual knowledge to make sure that our CPOE tool is measuring the right things every year when uh, hospitals do that. Um, we also partner with the groups we call regional leaders. They're business coalitions that are usually local uh, to a community or to a state. Um, and they're driving, trying to drive improvements in healthcare in a smaller market and trying to get value from the health insurance office. We have um, what we call partners advisory committee as well. These are partners that, ad that advise us on what is happening in the industry and, and can include hospitals and health systems, insurance plans, other vendors, I'd love to have an EMR vendor back on our partners advisory committee someday. Uh, this is a group that can give us feedback on our positions and changes we may be considering. And they offer us into insight into uh, different aspects of the industry. Well, that, that is tremendous opportunity there. And the more partnerships and collaborations that can be formed, I love your expert panel of uh, subject matter experts to really come in and help uh, 
benchmark some of these things, right? Because you're taking disparate information with lots of different uh, organizations from a national, regional perspective and having some true expertise in a collaboration effort with different lenses. I really like that. In particular, the EMR vendor, you know, there is a lens there and the development of the EMR is a critical piece to changes in process, clinical processes, and change inevitably can cause, doesn't always, but can cause some challenges with safety for sure. So I love that approach. Uh, great to hear and keep keep the good work up on, uh, on bringing the right people to the table for those conversations. So what challenges are you seeing in healthcare regarding patient safety and, and any trends since you've been part of the LeapFrog group? So, so probably the biggest one that I'm the most focused on is um, the lost opportunity we have with technology. Um, I, I have attended the last two in-person HIMSS conferences, and I walked that floor, scouring the, the vendor floor um, for anybody doing work with artificial intelligence and machine learning um, to improve patient safety. Everyone that I visited that had that capability was engineering their software to improve provider productivity or to improve revenue capture. And so I asked them about that, you know, why aren't you also focused on how can we reduce the occurrence of sepsis? You know, there are plenty of early indicators we can pick up on to alert to that. Um, and they said, we can do that. Nobody's buying it. So, you know, we've got to wake up the industry to say, this is important too. Um, now, I'd say that I'm not painting a, you know, a black and white picture. There are, and I've seen examples of local examples of hospitals actually working with their EMR vendors to start to do this, but they're one-offs. You know, I'd like to see something with more of a national direction towards adopting this stuff. Safer, the safer guides are probably a good example of that. Uh, ONC published them a while ago. Now CMS is requiring, uh, albeit with no teeth in the requirement that um, hospitals assess their EMRs against uh, the guides that have been published. Um, you know, again, clinical decision support could really help improve and help them meet the compliance with that. Our CPOE test that we offer helps you check the box on so many aspects of is your in the safer guides about the clinical decision support and the medication safety practices of your hospital. Tremendous. Absolutely tremendous. Golden opportunities and, you know, the safer guidelines, for example, you have to start somewhere, right? So yeah. uh, you, you may not have teeth behind the policy yet, but you do need to start somewhere and kind of get that groundswell of support. So good stuff and LeapFrog uh, really out there pushing the envelope, which I like to see. So what's next strategically for LeapFrog? Uh, and the efforts to improve safety in our healthcare. So, actually, this is in progress, um, but we just published our first paper on diagnostic excellence, which is a new realm where we're trying to remove some of these preventable medical errors um, in the diagnostic process. Um, you know, nip it in the bud. We we see that as an opportunity to prevent a large number of these medical errors. Uh, I think you'll also see us taking a much larger role in public policy uh, going forward. You know, historically, we've been reactive to rulemaking and proposed legislation when we become aware of it. Uh, we're starting to put more resources in making sure that we're aware of it. 
Um, sometimes, occasionally, they go by us before we, we knew about it. Um, there was the, uh, a good example of that, which thankfully passed anyways, was uh, legislation called the Momnibus Act, M-O-M. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was around uh, the s- disparities that were happening with women and in maternal care. Um, we support it. We would have been a much louder voice supporting it. We could have been much more active if we'd been aware of it sooner. So we're putting more resources in, into uh, that realm so that we're aware of what's going on on the Hill. Uh, and we can, you know, rally our resources behind that. But a good example of that is what just happened this year. Uh, every year, CMS proposes the inpatient prospective payment system changes. And we go through that uh, with a fine-tooth comb. Um, this year, um, to our chagrin, they were proposing to allow hospitals to not report PSI 90. PSI 90, public safety indicator 90, or patient safety indicator 90, is a uh, conglomerate of 10 different patient safety uh, measures that hospitals are required to report to meet their CMS requirements on things like uh, bleeding after surgery or um, falls, you know, a, a number of bad things that happen to patients. And they were proposing that that not, that hospitals wouldn't have to report that for a year because of COVID and open the door for them to suppress measures in the future. Um, to us, that was totally against our stance on transparency. Hospitals shouldn't be allowed to get a pass because of COVID, especially when COVID had nothing to do with most of the things they were measuring. We actually counter-proposed in their rulemaking process that they use a present on admission factor. If they were really concerned about COVID, then reduce the num- the denominator by those patients who came in with COVID, not blanket, don't report any of those patients. Mm-hmm. Um, we rallied uh, our I'll call them followers, you know, other partner organizations, friends of LeapFrog. We had over 200 uh, co-signers to our letter to to CMS. And two weeks ago, CMS published the final rule and backed off, and they kept that in there. So that's that's an example of how we can have an impact on public policy, and um, you'll probably see us doing a lot more of that in the future. Well, congratulations on that win. That's tremendous. And the, you know, the really, really good work already being done by the focus on patient safety, the grading system across many of the hospitals throughout the country, and then your strategic vision moving forward and really being part and parcel to helping shape policy and helping form the the teeth in some of those to really get the adherence and the focus uh, across all of healthcare is, is absolutely tremendous. Ralph, I want to thank you so much for being part of the podcast today. Um, this was great. It's really always a pleasure to get a chance to meet with you and talk with you. And I'm sure uh, your sharing of the insights to our audience is extremely beneficial. So I have one last question and we ask every uh, guest on the podcast this question and it, it gives you the opportunity to pie in the sky this thing, right? So you have unimaginable amounts of money, okay? Name the dollar and it's more than that. And virtually no regulation to adhere to. So what is your top priority from an investment in healthcare technology and why? Take the financial goals out of the equation for the adoption of AI and machine learning. You know, let's let's pay the vendors to embed that technology in their EMR software 
without concerning the hospitals having to fund it or anything else. Let's pay for it. The other one I would do is um, fund automated hand hygiene surveillance systems. This is really great technology, and it's, it's actually pretty simple, but it's kind of expensive to deploy because it uses things like RFID. Um, but you can actually dramatically improve hand hygiene, which is probably the leading cause of infections acquired in the hospital acquired infections. Um, but if we use these automated surveillance systems, you know, and maybe flash a red light over the door because the doctor forgot to wash it, you know, get the hand sanitizer before he or she left. Let's let's fund those across the board. Every hospital gets one for free. I love your thinking. I love your approach. Uh, not not sure that that can happen today, but we don't go into the <laughs> you know the, the the reality of this. I, I think if we can do anything to reduce infections that are spread in the hospitals, let's make that happen. I love that investment, and we've spoken about uh, AI machine learning a bit. There's almost an endless amount of possibility there from that perspective as well. So great uh, great choices on your part. There are no wrong answers here, but I love those two answers. So again, thank you, Ralph. This has really been a pleasure. Um, really appreciate your time and your insights today. And thanks for sharing with our audience. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google. Our next show will be coming soon, and we hope you'll tune in. I'm Danny Burgess, and you've been listening to Barry Dunn's Healthcare Technology Insights. Thank you for listening. Be well and stay insightful. Stay insightful.